And here we go, the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast. My name, obviously, is Eddie Cohn, host, creator of the Spiritual Spiral Podcast, and a pretty quick intro today. So I'm thrilled to welcome my friend, musician, producer, Olivier Ozu, to the show. I had him on the show, gosh, over, I think, a year ago. So it's great to have him back. And you got to head over to YouTube to check out Olivier's YouTube page, obviously. Um, You don't go to YouTube to check out his Facebook page. You go to YouTube to look at his YouTube page. So um, he's just, he's a really talented musician, artist. And, you know, all the music that you're going to listen to today on the show was performed and produced by Olivier. But I think, you know, you need to sort of get the visual experience also beyond just being a great musician. He's really talented at creating these amazing visuals um, to go along with the sounds. And, And as much as I sort of begrudge Instagram and the world that we sort of have become where we're all about the visual, you know, in, in Olivier's defense, he really, has molded and created this this world on YouTube where not only the music sounds good, uh, because Olivier's been sort of a, um, he's been a firm believer that, you know, you need to embrace more of these visual aspects and, you know, make the studio look good. And so he's really captured that on his YouTube page. Not only does the music sound good, but it's just, it's cool to look at what he's doing. So I really suggest you head over to his uh, YouTube channel, subscribe and check it out. So it's great to have him back on the show. And and it was actually the first podcast episode that I ever recorded live for my show. You can head over to my YouTube channel also. After you go over to Olivier's, head over to mine. Uh, type in the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral podcast in the YouTube search. Subscribe and you can actually watch the video and you'll get to hear the cats <laughs> scratching. That's the thing. You know, I, I do like to edit and make things sound a little bit more produced. And, you know, if I say, uh, or you hear cats in the background, or, you know, who knows what, or even if there's a moment where I'm losing my words and I don't know what the hell I'm talking about, I like to edit it out. So um, I, I think we sort of, I struggle with living in this world where it feels like the world wants the cameras always on. And it feels like everything's a performance. And everything is just sort of live. And and I almost feel like our world loves that because when somebody makes a mistake or fucks up, uh, everybody goes to town and retweets it or reposts that video. And then all of a sudden that person feels embarrassed or like a loser for God only knows how long. So, you know, I do sort of, I'm a bit apprehensive sometimes to go live because I do speak off the cuff. I speak extemporaneously, and uh, I'm not going off a script here. I'm just going off my beliefs and um, how I'm feeling, and I I try to be thoughtful. But even when you are thoughtful, you can still screw up and and say something that you don't mean. So um, I I, I do value taking your time, being thoughtful, thinking before you speak. And I just think sometimes when the cameras are rolling and things are – posted live, uh, it does lend itself where mistakes can happen. And then suddenly you put your foot in your mouth and there you go. So as they say, the rest is history. So if you dig the show, head over to iTunes, 
give it a five star, write a review, subscribe to the YouTube channel, subscribe on iTunes. You can visit IamEddieCone.com, get onto my newsletter. I'm going to be writing newsletters very soon about my podcast. I'm just, I'm in the midst of writing a book, doing new music, uh, and writing another book. I've got so many creative things going on right now that I feel like my head's going to explode. So I'm trying to navigate that. So head over to my website, IamEddieCone.com and sign up for the newsletter. Um, It's a great talk today with Olivier about art, music, social media, but it's also very topical about what's going on right now around the world with George Floyd, Black Lives Matter, talking about police officers, just sort of navigating this insane world that we're living in right now. And and I don't know when it's going to end. Maybe it's never going to end. Maybe this is the new reality for all of us. And I will be recording a podcast in the next few days sort of about what I'm observing, thinking. I also have a great talk coming up with Jake Reed, a drummer who has a new record coming out on June 19th. You could actually go to my YouTube channel right now and watch that interview. It just posted. And I guess I guess that's it. So again, I hope you I hope you dig the conversation that I had with Olivier. He's also a photographer. He's just a really talented, cool guy, and we became friends over the last few years over at a yoga studio where we kept bumping into each other. So it was just a nice talk. As always, hope you dig the conversation and thank you so much for listening, supporting, and being a part of the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral podcast. Well, it's well. First of all, thanks for doing the show again. I appreciate it. Hey, no problem. And um, you know, it's it's. I want to talk about this live thing first of all because I, I understand why we're going there, but it does raise the stakes. And it's it's one thing if you and I are going live, just you know, at at like an arcade, <laughs> like an arcade on on Third Street Promenade, and just playing video games, we're having a good time. And if five or ten of our viewers enjoy watching us play video games, um, great. But but I do think when one is speaking extemporaneously like I do, and, and, and I'm sort of trying to sort these things out in my head, you know, it could go in a, in a strange direction where I say something like, oh my God, why did I just say that? And, and then people start to judge and you know, I, I was, I just, I was, I'm just really confused about what's happening right now and about the world of tech. And is this really good? Is it bad? It, is it, is it a good thing that everybody gets to sort of speak their mind and say whatever they want? And, and I, I just, I don't know if, I, I think we're possibly turning, going past the point of no return. Said Every civilization, every generation, I think. But no, I think you're right. I mean, there's an interesting thing. I was just thinking this morning. So we've been watching the news a lot, right? Oh, I'm um, sorry. <laughs> and I've been sort of reading article and on a lot of articles, I'm now going like, I don't really understand why there's a comment section on that article. I don't actually want to read those comments. None of these people are really qualified to say anything important or useful to me. And I know it is going to be basically conflict in the comment. And I know why, I mean, there's this sort of metric of engagement that everybody's sort of running after. And sadly, the news seem to have been sort of sucked into this saying like, oh, the news now has to be just like a Facebook post. 
which is not true because the news is generally, especially sort of those larger articles that have some sort of thought behind them, right? So we're saying, okay, we had to send some journalists to cover the protests and some photographers and they wrote a story and they have a sort of sustaining videos that go with it and images and things like that. And all that is a nice little well-wrapped, as you're saying, like your podcast is edited and it's meant to sort of portray a certain product that has uh, a bidding and a beginning, a middle and an end and a goal. Right, right. And adding a comment section at the bottom kind of destroys it. <laughs> yeah. Most of the time, basically, the comment section has absolutely nothing to do with what the article is about. It's usually like, oh, article, blah, 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 blah. Oh, I'm for vaccine. I'm against Trump. I'm for Bill Gates. Um, I, I guess I shouldn't talk about Bill Gates because nobody <laughs> talks about him right now. It's all about other things. Because uh, he got displaced in the, in the news cycle. Yeah. But that's the weird thing, right? Sort of, I was like, oh, I, I'd like to have a little button that says, I don't want comments in any of these two articles. I'm not going to comment on them. And I don't really want to read them. I, I want to post and share what I'm thinking in podcasts. But it does sort of open up Pandora's box where, and I just wrote this article about it, where you don't know what state of mind people are in when they read your post and they could be at the post office or, you know, on the toilet, in the bathroom, maybe they're having a bad day. And I just, and just to make it sort of topical, me personally, obviously I think it goes without saying what happened in Minneapolis is terrible and should never happen. But then I say to myself, do we think about like, well, 80 to 90 people have died in the last like five days because of the rioting. And, and so and then people will say, well, at least it brought awareness to what's going on. And it's right there on the videotape. But then I think there has to be another solution other than I'm, I'm all for protesting, peaceful protesting. But it almost feels like people out there were sort of uh, through social media finding out where the protests are. And then we're going to target some of these wealthy communities and loot and just create havoc for everybody. And to me, I, I don't think Martin Luther King Jr. would be happy with what's going on, not only what happened in Minneapolis, but also what's going on with the reaction, because he was always about nonviolence. It's, yeah, but at the same time, those protests also had some violent sort of components to them, right? So like, sure. Again, that's the same thing, right? Sort of you have a large mass of people and, and there's various subgroups inside that. Thankfully, we're not this sort of one unified amorphous blob. There's actually a lot of different groups with different agendas. Well, thankfully, in, in both and both are good and bad, right? And then. Um, even just sort of within the police, there's sort of various people within that group that have different agendas. Some of them are use, are using them to sort of push a certain sort of um, direction. Other are trying to push another one. So yeah, it's I mean all these things are very complex, um, and and it's they're very hard to sort of reduce. I think we do ourselves uh, sort of back to your sort of. Um, your main point about sort of social media, it's really hard to reduce these complex problems into a tweet. It's impossible. Um, and, and, and Because you have to choose one thing and then basically you do everything, I think, a disservice by going, oh, this is a soundbite. That's sort of interesting. And you lose the context of who said the soundbite and why and what else they're saying around it and things like that. So. Sorry, I, I just I think it's a dangerous world to live in because we are now judged based off of minute clips or 20 seconds or 20 words you used. And as you just said, and I say it a lot, just context is eliminated. And I don't 
I'm, I'm frightened to live in that world where, you know, your whole life can be ruined based on 20 seconds or 20 words that you say. And I just think it, it's just the, the world feels ready to pounce, feels ready to judge, feels ready to point the finger, criticize. And that's a that's a no wonder people just want to post photos of their cats all day, because why take the risk? If you are consistent and authentic with yourself, then whatever you're presenting is you uh, at most time. And when there's sort of slippage, it's sort of easy for you or easier, quote unquote. And, and yet you could be basically hung for, for no good reason, uh, except for basically becoming an example because society at large needs needed an example at that point in time. And that's very sad. Uh, but at the same time, sort of errors of judgment do happen. And sort of like the, the counterpoint would be, um, I could be driving a car and running over some someone and I don't know the context of that person that I sort of killed and my seconds of detention caused that and it will have serious damages on my life, right? Yeah. And nobody sort of goes out and goes like, oh, that poor person, I basically, why? Like they looked at their text and they ran over that teenage girl that was 15 and she was about to graduate and blah, blah, blah. I sort of, so I, that's basically my counter example. Say yes on one end, you do, do that on the other end. It, yes, those are things that happen. Uh, and and, ju- and I think basically you should judge basically like the consequence of a misplaced word in, in the same context as the consequence of basically a second intention while you're at the wheel or while you're doing other things that basically can sort of rapidly devolve into um, grave consequences. Uh, or, or even basically onto yourself, right? You take a selfie uh, sort of near, near the edge of a cliff and then you fall off and die. Uh, and it yeah. happens a lot in our sort of selfie-obsessed society. There's like the number of selfie-based accents are it's on the rise. Again, I'm not playing devil's advocate here. I think one of my curiosities about COVID-19 was just, and I, I'm, I just, I think the media really does control the narrative of of what we're thinking about, what we're talking about, whether they're aware of it consciously, subconsciously, or whether they're completely aware of it, I don't know. But it is amazing to me. And this was one of my criticisms with COVID-19. Suddenly all the other illnesses just, that took precedent over everything going on. And how quickly the story changed to race relations in America. You know, the world is a is an ugly place sometimes. And we sort of want everything to be good or bad. And then we suddenly just out of nowhere, the media places precedence on one particular illness or one particular subject. And then it's like they quickly forget and move on to the next one. You know, how are you navigating your emotions? Because you live in Santa Monica when, you know, obviously protests are a great thing, but then you see all these people looting and creating havoc throughout your city. So how do you navigate your emotions when you're seeing what's going on in your in your home city? Sunday, Sunday and Monday were basically when most of the sort of at least the Santa Monica based um, activities were taking place. 
And actually, I have so my downstairs neighbor. I was actually participating in the protest in the march, and he was telling me that sort of the protesters were going down the same route that um, the LA Marathon takes, which is uh, what is it, sort of San Vicente mm-hmm. to the ocean, then ocean back up through all, and, and sort of were meant to be sort of terminating at the pier. Uh, and basically parallel to that, we have these sort of uh, organized looters, which is, that's what I'm going to call them because that's what they are, that had really nothing to do with even the path of the protest. So it was really interesting that basically like you have these sort of thousands of people that are walking down uh, peacefully and, and protesting with their signs and things like that. And the other thing that you'd notice is none of the looters had signs or revendication or anything. They're basically sort of driving down five or six people to a car and really sort of and I think because it was maybe there was sort of second or third days, and I, I'm pretty sure a lot of those were repeat offender, basically say, okay, like we understand the system now. We're going to go down. We're going to keep a driver in the car. Four people come out of the car, run into whatever stores, grab stuff, mm. run back to the car, make another round, whatever, things like that. So that was really interesting because it was physically separate because downtown Santa Monica is fairly compact, right? Sure. Uh, you have Third Street and the major sort of stores that, that were hit were all sort of in that sort of two or three blocks of Third Street plus the mall, which has the Nike store and all of this sort of bigger uh, budget thing. And that's what sort of the uh, the looters descended upon. Uh, and there was no protest happening in that area at all. The protests were at least three or four blocks away from that. Uh, so that's an interesting dynamic uh, that I don't think was well reported outside of the current situation because I'm, I'm close to it and I had sort of firsthand uh, reports from my neighbors that came back from the, the march and told them like how difficult it was for the protesters themselves to just sort of get out of the area without sort of uh, going through the part that was sort of quickly turning into some sort of war zone, right? Yeah. Because um, that's where the sort of major sort of riot police was concentrated and the National Guards and we had all day five or six helicopters overhead. I think we've become a culture and I, I recorded a podcast a couple of days ago about this and I'll post it soon. Just I think we've become a culture where we don't think about consequences. And I'm so discouraged by I, th- I think his officer Chauvin in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm amazed at the sociopathic, just clueless attitude, for lack of a better word, to know that there's cameras right in front of you. And he's he's just still doing his thing. He's not thinking about consequences at all. He's, he's emotionless. And I do think about the government just telling everybody to stay home during, uh, during COVID-19 for two, three months. I mean, to me, that is just insensitive. And sure enough, suicide is the amount of suicide in Northern California over the last three months is equals the, the entire year of last year, just in these three months. I don't think people, and then I say to myself, these protesters are choosing areas to protest, but then there's other um, factions of society that are paying attention to where these protests are happening and then targeting them. It just, I don't think, because we move so fast and the cameras are always on and then you have social media amplifying everything, Part of me, the, the pessimist in me, just isn't surprised by, by the chaos that's just sort of ensued over the last month or yeah. two months. I want to say something about the cameras because I think it's important because I was uh, – I don't think I came – so I, I mean I'm, I'm not native to L.A. and I came here maybe sort of 20 years ago. I can't remember if I came – I probably came here maybe a few years after um, 
the riot, the the, in the Rodney 93. King riots. Um, I think I sort of I was in LA for the. I think there, these are good sort of uh, timestamp of things. I was there for the famous OJ Simpson chase, right? and and I must have been sort of in LA for a few months at that point. Right. right? So that sort of frames frames that day, whatever that day. We can look it up after. Um, but I remember how the sort of riots. So the main difference between that generation. So it's riots are generally a generation apart. I think when you participate in one, you probably you're, you're good for life. And you never <laughs> want to take yeah. part in it. And and this is a new generation of people, and they're exercising their right to protest, and they're exercising, quote unquote, their right to to riot. Uh, and they're not the, the the generation that participated in, in the Rodney King ones. But what I want to say is the big difference between what's happening today and what was happening then is the availability and the ubiquitousness of cell phone cameras, which means that we have thousands of point of view on things. So, you know, hmm. and, and I think just like the rest of society, it makes things harder because you have to do more work. But at the same time, I feel that even in this time right now, it is much harder for the government or the media or various sort of group to manipulate stories the same way because there's always counterpoint you can sort of take anything that's happening and go oh well i have video evidence of police brutality i have video evidence of um uh looters brutality i have video evidence of people that are peaceful i have video evidence there are sort of people like there's sort of lots of tinier stories that get told immediately as opposed to what was happening uh, during the DLA riot when there was no cameras at all. And the only reason that thing came out at all is because someone had a video camera and filmed Rodney King. But because that person had a video camera, and I think it was a VHS camera, so probably like big clunky, <laughs> yeah. uh, like something that nobody really has with them at any point in time, except that day there was someone with a camera and that came out. But we had basically one point of view. And then from that point on, the media controlled the narrative completely. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, and, but it's, you bring up an interesting point because I do think that's why we're having a hard time finding a middle ground and agreeing with one another because there's so many perspectives. You know, you could have looked at some Reddit post, I could have looked at something in, in um, Vanity Fair or The Atlantic. You know, you spoke to a friend. It's just, there's so much information. And again, I, I, I'm not trying to I, I realize the hypocrisy here because I'm, I'm thankful and appreciative that I have a podcast and I get to speak my mind. But I, I think I do think before I speak and, you know, I've had these thoughts for a few days and I just recorded a podcast about it today and I didn't just come on the show and talk to you without thinking for a good 30, 45 minutes, maybe even for the last day, like what I want to talk about. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm like consciously aware that my words and actions matter. Right. And, and I just think, and actually that article that you were helping me with, you know, I spoke about that issue in Central Park with Christian and Amy Cooper. If I didn't get that article published within three to five days, it would have already been outdated. And so I kind of had a whole new respect for writers that work in journalism now because they have to turn around their stories really within a day. 
And I think about this idea of being creative and thinking and being thoughtful and taking your time. You can't in that medium anymore. It's harder, right? It's significantly harder because, yeah, there, as you said, there's that pressure of time of being the sort of first news. The news is only news if it's new, right? Um, I, yeah, I think, I mean, I was just thinking while you're sort of talking about that is that it feels that sort of this is one specific aspect, uh, and I think sort of combating fake news and sort of critical thinking that sort of needs to be sort of thought to kids from a very young age and actually probably be part of the sort of basic school curriculum saying, okay, this is how the world works right now. Like we do not have people that we pre-digest information for you, that expect the information to be fragmented, expect the information, expect false information or um, misleading information to look just as polished and nice as truthful information. I think that's the main difference. I, was, I don't know if you read, there's been sort of articles, maybe not, there's one that I sort of read recently, sort of surveys that are saying how uh, boomers, which is not just sort of code word for, people are older, mm-hmm. uh, are m- way, much more susceptible to be affected by fake news than younger generation. And the main thing is because their frame of mind is set to believe that news is generated at newspaper pace, which means there it's collected, it's proofed, it takes a while to make it to make something into the front page. In order for it to be on the front page, you can only have one front page per day because that's how long a print loop takes. And just and basically these news organizations are much larger. And because they're much larger, they're susceptible to falling out of favor. So like most large newspapers are very careful about maintaining their position, they can't afford to be sort of super incendiary because they would get burned out of thing. And that's not the same when you set up a, a website. Anybody can set up a website and put a banner and use a news-like font, a sort of something very vaguely gothic and or, or whatever your sort of market you're trying to set. And you can photography costs nothing in terms of sort of putting images, graphic design costs nothing. So superficially, if you look at a news outlet, if I look at the LA Times or the New York Times or the BBC uh, or CNN or various things, like so these large organizations, and I compare them to other sort of news sites, they look essentially the same. I think everybody sort of believes that um, what they, that their opinion is fact. And it feels like these blogs and every newspaper, the New Yorker, the New York Daily News, which, you know, does have a tendency to fabricate the news. Um, it just it feels like the way it's all reported, it's it's fact. And I think we're living in this world of gray and we want everything right. to be black, black or white. Um, not literally speaking, but just like yes or no, left or right. And we're getting more uncomfortable with that sort of muddy middle where, you know, again, this, this does relate to COVID-19. I'll, and this is my, my point. 
In a world of know-it-alls and physicians and grandstanders and politicians, we're very uncomfortable with not knowing. And the reality is the novel coronavirus, it's novel new. We won't really, you can't predict contagiousness or immune systems because they're all different. And you don't really know what's going to happen in only a three-month period. And that kind of freaks, that, that is the complete opposite of, of what our world is right now. Right. The coronavirus response, I think it was one of those things where no matter what any given government did, they were likely to be wrong. Yeah. Because we look at basically, we look at the US and they shut down everything and they still had cases and it's still a disaster. We look at Sweden, they decided not to shut anything down and it was still a disaster and they have sort of 10 times the amount of deaths that the other ones. Italy screwed up, UK screwed up, China screwed up. And, and I think you're right. It's, I mean, the reason we all screwed up is because it is new and we did not have any way to sort of really compare this to any, anything else or to sort of have measurable um, data that made sense. Um, plus, like sort of, again, like sort of it's still too early, right? It's been three months. I don't think we'll have sort of any sort of real uh, insights on thing for another year or two years in terms of sort of making long-term research and and being able to sort of have the length that you need to be able to make um, these uh, theories or prove these theories. Look, I might get a little backlash here, but I, there is this voice in my head that believes that somebody or some country or some company wanted that number of deaths to be high. And I know Elon Musk came out and was talking on the Joe Rogan show about these hospitals are benefiting if they put down COVID-19 as a death. Um, they're getting benefit. They're getting financial benefits by putting people on respirators. And there are those stories out there where, you know, these hospitals, hospitals are going out of business and losing money. And I, I don't know. I, I am curious about those stories that are saying that, they're giving the COVID-19 death, even if they're not sure that that's the person, that's how that person died. I mean, I even read that in the New York Times, which is a pretty liberal newspaper. So they were giving COVID-19 to assuming that that's how this person passed away, which I don't know. I just, I, I got the sense that somebody out there wants that number to be high. Possibly. I mean, I'm going to counter you. I think it's sort of always good for a dialogue to have sort of opposite point of view. Um, at the same time, I don't think any number of government subsidy towards use of COVID beds in a hospital would make up for the millions of dollars of missed um, revenue on lip fillers. Uh, yeah. And other basically like these hospitals were asked to completely shut down and say, you cannot have anything that has anything to do, to do uh, other than, than that. So pros and cons on, on that one, right? One of the sort of interesting piece of data that sort of to, to look into is the spike on overall worldwide death in the first three months of 2020, just basically compared to mm -hmm. averages, right? So, so those are proven to have spiked significantly in every country. And it doesn't really matter if we can't explain, if we can't sort of say, oh, this person has a test and therefore we can 
be 100% sure that that death is due to the coronavirus. If we're just saying like normally 100 people a day die and all of a sudden in from January to April, we're seeing that 200 of people a day are dying. Something has to make these people die. Right. And the one sort of major change worldwide that's happened is the introduction of that virus. I would argue that the, the what's changed is not just the new con- the um, coronavirus, but but just just being forced to stay home. Uh, people with heart disease and diabetes and high blood pressure can't go to the doctor and be seen. I mean, they basically were told that you have to stay home and do and see your physician over the phone. I, I think the whole world just changed so dramatically that other people that had other underlying conditions. And then also people that were depressed and had suicidal tendencies. I mean, it really uprooted just the normal day-to-day function of not only life, but going to your doctor every six months or three months and people that have underlying conditions. And then I have a friend that was getting chemotherapy that had to put off their chemotherapy for a week because of the new restrictions at the hospital. So I just, it, it really sort of, I guess back to my original point, I just, I think, you know, we don't. I I, I like to believe our intentions are good, but I don't think we think of the consequences when, you know, a whole world is staring at Facebook all day and that's where people are communicating. And now, ironically, thanks to the coronavirus, more people are even dependent on their technologies. I just I think we're just sort of almost like just little rats in labs and, and but nobody wants to talk about what they're observing. They're just moving on to the next thing. And it's, it's funny. It's just the moment anybody criticizes anything, they, they're called a hater. And, and look, I'm not, I, I love my, my iPhone. You know, I love my iPad and I love logic and I love the, the tools that I use. I just, I think people are just not communicating and thinking and digesting and, and, reading and and thinking objectively and thinking critically and i think all of that is being impacted by social media and tech and so do you i mean do you think about this stuff or or do you notice it when you're out to dinner with friends do you see people just obsessively staring at their phones i mean you know you and i talk and text so at least there's a balance but do you have friends that just don't talk to you that you only dm with them i notice myself doing it and i'm sort of very 
ashamed of doing it sometimes. Where basically I'll be in a um, in a group environment with some friends, and if the subject matter that people are discussing is something that sort of just mildly interests me, I uh, I, I found myself sort of shutting down and go like discreetly. I think it's discreet. It's probably not discreet at all. Basically, mm. just sort of staring at my phone and going um, and because you can't right? that sort of technology is this enabler. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily good or bad. Does does your interestingly does anybody sort of, does anybody say anything to you? Like, what do you get? You know, what are you doing? Okay, my wife definitely says something. To okay, me. got it. <laughs> and what is she? And, and, but I say something to myself as well. I sort of say like, no, what am I doing? Like, what is like? To, uh, and I think I think this is going to change. I think the one thing that I'm hoping, uh, at least I'm feeling it myself, is these events are so drastically changing our perception of everything that we're all coming at at the other end of this change people right like if only this sort of appreciation of simple thing like you know what how how much i'm sort of looking forward to even not touching them just being able to say hey friends let's get together at at a park to start with like not even at someone's house let's sort of say hey let's the five of us or eight of us go organize a a picnic at a park and we can actually talk to each other without sort of looking at a laptop screen. I mean, like the, the, the whole like sort of zoom happy hour thing gets old very quickly. <laughs> Are you going to be comfortable going to sweat yoga or your yoga studio like you normally do? Or, or are you going to think about it? I'm not going to be comfortable to not think about it. And I haven't made that decision yet in terms of sort of in, in what what are the circumstances that are that would make me comfortable going there. Uh, I know on one hand, basically, the counterbalance of that is there's such a craving to be with other human beings without technology as an intermediate that that's the counter. Of it, right? The reason yoga studios work is that you're practicing with other people. And I don't think the number of other people matters that much. I mean, there is obviously the the financial implication of the overhead of a studio that's designed to be barely uh, break even when they have full classes at 50 people. Right. Um, I don't know how they survive when they can only have 15 people a class and have to clean between every class and put extra spaces and maybe they, they can only have five sessions a day instead of 10 sessions a day. Yeah, I don't know. They can't. So this is going to be a sort of interesting. Uh, I think specifically for the health industry in Southern California, let's talk about sort of LA and the West Side. We do have the advantage of having amazing weather, the beach, parks. So I think we're going to see a renewal of the beach boot camp movement, the people saying, hey, I'm going to meet my yoga teacher, Eddie, and we're practicing on Saturday morning at the park. Right. Uh, where it's easy to be or easier to be socially distant, right? You guys can see a scenario where you're holding a class and you're saying, you probably have to get a permit of some sort, but you're saying, hey, meet me at the park at 9 a.m. and we're going to make sure that you're bringing your own equipment so there's no contamination problem. I think outdoors are the safest thing there is um, in terms of cross-contamination and yoga is an excellent form because there's really no contact right like i set up my mat and if there's basically a math with or two mats with between me and the next person as long as i'm within sort of visual distance of you and i can hear you speak to me that's a fantastic yoga experience especially in the beautiful weather of southern california 
So I think we're going to see a lot more of those. That's one of the first thing I'm planning to do is basically take those Zoom meetings I've been or Zoom training sessions I've been doing with personal trainers and, and other people, like the same little group that we have of 10, 12 people and take that and transplant it to, to the beach or to a park. I mean, do you, I don't, I think we're also just sort of like forgetting about immune systems and, you know, people are going to get sick and, and you, I just, you can't stay inside all day. You can't avoid people all the time. And I, I don't know. Do you think the way that it's been handled is, I'm surprised that you said what you said, because I, I thought that you would be more confident and more trusting that everything is going to be okay with, with your health because you're, you're no, but you're in good shape and you're young. And uh, I, I don't know. I mean, do you, are you, are you, I'm just, I don't know. I was, I was suspecting that you were just going to say, I'm going to go back to the gym and I don't, I'm, I'm fine. Is this worse for me potentially becoming a carrier than that basically sort of passes it on to another friend of mine that's fine, who gives it to their mom who's doing chemotherapy and, and kill over and die. So th- I think that's what we have to be conscious. Like the reason we're doing this is not just for yourself. Like the whole, like the whole, like sort of, am I going to get sick or not is less important than sort of transmission. Like the worst thing about this virus is how we're finding out that you can be highly contagious and asymptomatic, which is, I don't know. I have no words. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> honestly, part, part the, the pessimist in me thinks it's convenient I just, I don't, I don't, it's, I don't know, man. Like I think to myself, we all have cancer, you know, we have cancer every single day and uh, we have strong blood cells, red blood cells that fight the cancer cells off. And then we obviously don't get stage one, two, three or four cancer. So I'm, I'm not trying to be conspiracy theorists here, but it just feels a little too convenient to say that we're all carriers and we all can be asymptomatic because it, it's like, that's the... No, point. no, it's... Yeah, and we can't say in our sort of current situation, sort of like, that's what I was saying. I was saying like, you're sort of down if you do and you're down if you don't and you, you're going to be down when you stop because uh, this is what's going to happen, right? Sort of, we, we sort of were easing up on restriction and then there's these sort of major event that sort of, I, th- I think I think it was worth that sort, of, sort of straw that breaks the camel back Actions. I think it's absolutely worthwhile saying I'm going to risk infection for my right to protest, um, hmm. which I, in, in some expect. I mean, it's sort of like I, I, if you're going to protest for something, go protest for against police brutality and not for your right to get a haircut. Um, hmm. Yeah. For sort of protesting for protesting sake. So, but but at some point, so we we're going to reopen. I think this is going to accelerate this process in, in America, in the, the U.S., where it's like we're going to have a huge spike in cases in two to three weeks. Yeah, that seems to be a given. Um, you know, you brought up an interesting point, and then I'll, I'll, a couple more things, and I'll let you go. Um, I feel really bad potentially i mean again we're scales here of for police officers for the because i was talking to a friend of mine earlier i mean you know they have a tough job and again i you know i have i i feel like i obviously have to preface this by saying i'm not condoning police brutality to any faction of of uh, of the no, human race no i think race. you can say 
Because I feel bad. I feel bad for good police officers. I feel bad for people that says, you know what, my calling is to become a police officer because I want to help my community, because I want to sort of make a difference. And a lot of these people are there and they are making a difference. Let's, let's just sort of flip that to something else. Instead of using the word police officer, let's use the word lawyer because that maps exactly the same way, right? There's lots of very good lawyer that are sort of there to make a difference and to help people. And there's also some terrible lawyer that basically have absolutely sort of no respect to sort of humanity or human life. And they say, yeah, yeah, go ahead, corporation. We're basically going to get you off the loop for, for this thing or I'm going to protect you. Uh, I know you're you were former Nazi and you moved to Argentina, but uh, you know what? I'll, I'll plead your case. Yeah. Because, so, because so, the, no, the word, it, it does taint the, the law, the sort of lawyers in general that we have these things. So I think that's the same thing that's happening with the sort of police. Like, police brutality is unacceptable, but I don't think we should sort of say that blanket fuck the police, but I mean, sort of they're, they're bad statement to sort of spray paint on, on a window say, to say, no, hey, but it's, fuck but, the bad but, police. Yeah, but that's, uh. that's the thing. We don't think about consequences. And I, I don't, I can't stand the media right now because it's like, you got to throw out a story every week or two, I feel like, showing some good that the police do, but they know that oh, those yeah. those stories just don't really matter to people. There and are, it, but they don't make the front page. They don't I make think the, even even the sort of the, the big sort of news organization have published sort of stories like sort of I mean the because everybody's heard about it like the, the the one sort of police chief that took out his riot gear and kneeled with the protesters the policeman that sort of went out his way to save a little girl and things like that. there are tons of that I mean and people also sort of in, yeah but I guess the, the, the cell right so the, the goody goody I think the other things basically look at sort of out of the sort of even the deployed police force out of the sort of 80 members are there that might be a sort of couple of sort of um, brutal one and a couple of good one. And most of the middle are just sort of, it's a job and they're trying to do, and they're also trying to not rock the boat. You have to look at it from the sort of their perspective as an employee is saying, okay, am I, do I want sort of in the middle of COVID-19 to basically rock the boat and go against that bad apple? Cause I think that's the other thing is basically it, it I think it's known within certain circles, like which one are the sort of the weaker or the stronger um, well, officials in, in these things. The pers- I mean, the problem it's like at any job, right? You sort of steer away from like what's good for you. Do you want to sort of? Well, the perception here that I again, I, I just the, the but that doesn't sell newspaper, right? Well, yeah, but that's the problem. The narrative and the perception in the world right now is that the police officers are bad, and. I just don't think that's fair because you know we saw what if, if we saw with people looting, just killing innocent people. That if we don't have the police, and the problem is the police, I don't know if they were instructed by the mayor, the governor. They didn't do anything. They didn't stop it. They just watched it happen. And I don't know if they were scared for their life, but we saw what a world would look like if there were no police officers. And I don't want. I think you're being inflammatory a little bit. How so, though? Because yeah, no, but because we're not talking about a world with no police. I think. And, and, yeah, but that's and what and we what saw. What the protest is about is basically saying no, no to police brutality. No, not but, to say no to the yeah, police. No, but we saw the looting and the violence that had nothing to do with the protests, and the police weren't doing anything to stop it. 
And that looked to me like a world where there is no police and people can do whatever they want and they could kill and steal. And I mean, I, I was that was a scary five to seven days watching some of those videos of what people are doing. And I sure hope they get thrown into jail. I hope they get caught. But the perception and the stories that I'm reading are that they got away with it. And to me, that had nothing to do with bad police. It had nothing to do with the protests. It had everything to do with just living in a world of anarchy where people can just sort of do whatever they want. I mean, that, that to me is, is scary. I think this, I mean, to me, it's less scary than a world where basically images I'm seeing from sort of militarized police making the U.S. look exactly like uh, Russia 20 years ago or sort of other militarized countries. I mean, sort of that, that's the other thing you have to take into account. Is it really necessary for police budget to include the, so that's what's happened things. Basically, because these companies were in search of constant expansion, because that's our sort of consumeristic society is based on, all these sort of military contractors, once they've sort of stopped being able to sell more gear to military outfits because there's no wars going on that are large enough right now to sort of use them, have turned to police forces as their source of revenue. Hmm. I mean, there's no reason for the amount of equipment that police has access to right now. Yeah, I, I mean, that, I, that, I, I agree with you. I, I agree with you. I, I just... So the two extreme points are valid. I think what you're saying, basically, yeah, if, if we have no police and there's no consequences to your action, then we devolve into anarchy. Um, the other extreme of that is a completely militarized state where you cannot do anything. Right. Uh, and obviously, if something happens, I mean, we can sort of see, okay, let's sort of take this theory that basically there's a giant military coup and the U.S. becomes the new China. And we basically sort of 10 years from now say that actually George Floyd never happened, just like Tiananmen never happened. Like the, the last Chinese that can say Tiananmen ha- happened were in Hong Kong or are in Hong Kong. And I don't know if you saw that because it was, what, two days ago, um, the anniversary of the... the that revolution and the only place in China where it can be mentioned is Hong Kong and it's getting clamped down because China wants to sort of take back that control and they're using the coronavirus and the unrest and various. So I think that's the other thing basically. Like you have to sort of remember that these political entity will opportunistically take advantage of whatever the world throws at them to their advantage, unless they're counterchecked by something. I went to Santa Monica today to meet a couple friends at the park to have lunch. And there's this, I felt anxiety. And it feels as though 
There's this movie, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead, with Ethan Hawke and Philip Seymour Hoffman, and they're both desperate for various reasons. They end up robbing their parents' jewelry store. I don't know if you've seen the movie, but it's it's powerful. And I get the sense that, you know, at any moment, things can go terribly wrong. And before you know it, your life is, is, is sort of spiraling, spiraling downward. And it, it can happen to anybody. And I think we, as a culture, you know, want to just believe that people are just either good mm-hmm. or you're bad. And I think it's, I think we're just very complicated. And social media is just loving pointing people out as being bad and and then your life is ruined. And the reality is that everybody has some, some scars and some bad baggage. And I think people, now I don't think people are all capable of doing just extremely bad things. But then if you're in a really tough situation, your life is being risked, you know, who knows what you're going to do. And I just, and then if, if, if drugs are involved and alcohol is involved and then DNA, it just, I think we need to get a little bit more comfortable with the unknown and Oh, and I'll ask my question, but then on the flip side, you know, I live in a pretty multiracial neighborhood, Hasidic Jews, African-Americans, Hispanics, Asians all live on my block and I go out and exercise every day and I, everybody's saying hi and everybody has a smile on their face. So then I also wonder, is it as bad as the world wants us to think it is? And, and actually, are we doing pretty well? I don't know. Do you, where are you at? Or do you think it's as bad as, as the world is, wants us to believe? Or is it actually pretty good? And there's always just one asshole. You know, you throw it. You have a party of 100 people. It, take, it just takes one asshole to fuck it up for everybody. So, I mean, I don't know. What do you, what do you, what do you think? I think the world is pretty good. So this is my theorem thing. Um, given a choice, because that's something that you can control. I would rather be an optimist than a pessimist. Because when I'm an optimist, I'm actually happier. Hmm. Regardless of the sort of state of, of everything, if I'm a pessimist, I'm, I'm going to take a good situation and make it bad to me because I'm thinking on how it could be, oh, how bad it actually is or how worse it could be and things like that. So anxiety is sort of this this thing that you have to deal with i think and i'm i'm not an anxious person i'm anxious right now i think this is the world is making me more anxious than i've ever been but um i tend to bounce back fairly quickly and i think part of it is sort of potentially a sort of artistic creative adhd type sort of personality where sort of i can get squirreled away very quickly to something else right um I think it's interesting, like sort of the, all these sort of current events are, in my mind, they're, they're very stressful, but at the same time, it's letting me appreciate a lot of things that I kind of sort of forgot about, uh, both good and bad. Uh, and the fact that sort of where I live, Santa Monica got hit by not only protests, but also looters and things like that. It's kind of a weird thing to say. I find that refreshing in the sense that basically I know that I'm privileged because I can afford to live in Santa Monica. This is a sort of high rent, high sort of house value thing. It's near the beach and things like that. It's sort of like, even though it's because Santa Monica is fairly liberal, it's pretty diverse. It's more diverse than um, Orange County, for example, but it's still 
privileged in the sense that basically there's a money threshold that you have to attain uh, to, to live here permanently. I mean, obviously, there's sort of people that work at the Vons and the thing of that. So there do people that sort of come in and come out and like sort of see all of that. So I think the interesting thing that made me realize is I think, yes, those, those things are hit close to home. And I think they're a symbol of not letting myself think that these are things that happen to other people far away. That's the other difference that happened during the Rodney King riots is that all the looting and the protests and the things were in the predominantly poor and black neighborhood mm-hmm. of the time. And most of these neighborhoods never bounced back from those events. Like those sort of stores and blocks and things that were looted were never going to recover. I, like, I went down to Santa Monica and most of the stuff is erased. Hmm. Because Santa Monica has money. So from a sort of uh, a purely sort of symbolic perspective, it makes a lot more sense to destroy property in rich neighborhoods than in poor neighborhoods because the rich neighborhood was just rebuilt. Right. Um, it's kind of silly. No, and I'm it's, also it's condoning not silly. It, but it's it's true. Saying, like, from, uh, and also makes it sort of real to, to people that otherwise it's way too easy for us and us by mean sort of me and other privileged people to sort of distance ourselves from these happening. I mean, that's what white privilege really is about, because it's something I can sort of talk with you all day long about sort of police brutality and the plight of, of uh, black people in America and things like that. But it's, I will never know, because I know that I can sort of walk up to any policeman, probably even in rough area, and even actually sort of during the protests, I probably sort of get... Uh, beaten up as as likely as other people. In most cases, I can use my appearance um, to my benefit. That, that's literally what white uh, privilege means, right? It's sort of like between right. everything else being equal, if I show up and try to buy something with um, a counterfeit dollar bill, I can successfully argue that I had no idea it was counterfeit and probably nothing will happen to me. Right. Um, yeah, Whereas no, a, 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 a black person who sort of can do something much milder, such as jogging in a neighborhood or birdwashing and telling someone, hey, could, like, could you please sort of put your dog on a leash? And they're assumed to be in the wrong. Yeah, it's weird. I actually was more emotionally upset by Ahmad Arbery's death in Georgia because, again, you know, not I'm just personally emotionality the way i responded poor guy amad arbery who's just jogging in his 20s and these two fuckers in georgia like get in their truck and just freaking shoot him in broad daylight and i I mean it's just that is just crazy that that's happening right now and i was more just emotionally impacted by just thinking that and again i you know and it's weird to, you know, we want to say all lives are equal, but the reality is that I think sometimes we are emotionally more connected to certain people as opposed to others. I mean, I would be more emotionally impacted by my best friend's death than somebody that's just, I don't know, who died. And I mean, the whole world seemed to be impacted by Kobe Bryant's death. Right. So I don't know. I don't even know my point, but I just, I just. Well, was, it is, these are sort of contact points, right? So it's, it's easier to put yourself in someone else's shoes. But the more sort of touch points and contacts you have with that sort of other person, either imaginary or real, the easier it is to you to sort of flip yourself. It's right? sort of the, the mental exercise of saying. Uh, so one thing I've been doing in 
I don't know, sort of, I can't remember when I started doing that. So it was interesting. It's probably as I be, sort of became more aware of sort of being in the U.S. of sort of um, of my position as an old white guy because that's what I'm getting to mm-hmm. uh, compared to other people is basically looking at people on the street and imagining what they do and sort of it's kind of weird to say sort of forcing myself to say and say you know I'm going to look at the um, uh, a little Latina lady and go well she owns a store and she's the CEO of this sort of enterprise and basically sort of view that basically sort of project that into another person and mm. not just go like I'm going to go with the easiest sort of uh, theory about this person and go oh they're so this thing about because when we sort of reviewed the the article together I was telling you if you have basically five kids of college age and they're white you can assume they're college students if you have five kids of college age and they're black it's going to be a lot easier for you to assume that they're not in college and maybe they're hmm. worse yeah uh, so the exercise is to go, actually, you know what? Those five white guys, they're thugs. Maybe they're rapists. No, that's fair. That's a good example. Um, to project that onto them. I mean, not to basically act on it, but just to go <laughs> right. like, that's, I mean, to me, it's a mental exercise to kind of sort of deprogram the bias that we all have. Right. And to go, oh, they're just, and just or, or even like you're reading a book and assign a, a gender or a race to someone when they're not described as such. It's always an interesting exercise to go, okay, let's, instead of basically saying that I am the primary um, person in that book and therefore project the fact that say, it's a uh, middle-aged French guy that moved to <laughs> Santa Monica to say, okay, well, what if this person is actually um, from Egypt? Yeah. And they're an ex-refugee and they're in tech and a brilliant programmer. It's like they're filling information, but not just sort of go after the obvious no i i think you're right it's a it's a it's a good exercise no but i i don't i mean i don't know how extreme you want to get to it with like your example but um i think you're right we have these these sort of implanted biases whether it's from our parents the environment the media we watch just vacations or we just have these assumptions that um I don't even. It's not racism. I don't even think of prejudices. I think they're. It's bias. I it's think just, that's the it's best just, way to express it. Yeah, it's just sort of natural happenstance because of our environment or the way we're raised or just the movies we watch. And it is, I think, up to us individually to break those biases and experience and read more and ask questions and have some curiosity, or else we'll be stuck in that 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 rabbit hole of being in your own bias, which just isn't a healthy place to be. So. Um, well, Olivier, I'm so stoked that you came back on the show and now it actually sounds great. You were my first live podcast guest. I don't have a lot of subscribers on my YouTube channel. I just turn it on, but whatever. I'll still post it on social media and all that stuff. But then I'll obviously have like, I'll have the edited version where I take out where I had to go close the cat. to the other yeah, cats. But maybe people like that whole sort of yeah. raw thing. I'll have to get up every 20 minutes to get the cat out of here. So. But I, I, it's always great talking to you. I feel like I, could, I, sh- I feel like every like six weeks or so we should just have these conversations because it's, it's always fun. Happy to do that. No, this was fun. This was great, and and I'm glad that we had sort of like I think sort of like when these sort of strong current events are happening, it's also sort of easier to not sort of get caught rambling sort of without a framework. So I think sort of we stayed. I think that conversation stayed very focused, which I think was interesting. It was interesting yeah. to me. I think it was interesting to me to sort of hear your point of view and articulate my point of view um 
Well, this is the point of the show. It's like trying to create more conversations. Yeah, no fighting, <laughs> actually listening. Uh, we, we need that more in our culture. So um, I, I appreciate you taking the time and uh, I'll speak to you very soon. It's always great to talk. All right. Cool. Later, Olivia. See yep. you. Bye.